welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. My name is Pastor Josh DeLaRosa and we are continuing a series of messages that we began last week called Peeled. And in this series, throughout the series, we're going to be asking the question, that if our life was like a piece of fruit and someone peeled it back or we were able to peel it back, would the fruit of our life be sweet or would it be sour? Would it be, uh, you know, would it taste good? Would others want to enjoy that? Meaning, would others enjoy being with us? Or what, what's that experience like? You know, because when we work together, when we live together, when we face the pressures of life together, in a way, it's sort of like we're peeled. And what comes out is, is either sweet or sour. It's either rotten or it's pleasant. Here's something we all know about fruit. Uh, once you cut fruit from a tree, here's, here's an avocado, here's a pear. Uh, you know, once you cut these fruit from their trees, uh, these fruits only have so long before they begin to spoil. They have a shelf life. Uh, if you wait too long to enjoy them, uh, the fruit is gonna turn rotten. It's gonna, you know, maybe turn sour. Uh, in fact, one of my neighbors next door, it's a newer neighbor, they run a local food ministry uh, to those who are in need of food. And about 10 days ago, there was a knock on the door and the husband was there and he had this big box full of bananas and they basically just had too much left over. And, you know, as you know, it was, they couldn't, you know, time was working against them at that point, and so they said, hey, we've got these, and we just need to get rid of these. Why don't you have some? Well, it was a lot more than we needed, so we, you know, we took what we could, and we thought we'll make some banana bread, we'll take some bananas just to enjoy, and then we passed them on to uh, a few of our neighbors. Well, why do we do that? Well, if you, if you leave fruit for too long, it, it can, you know, it gets rotten. We know this. And in a similar way, and it's no surprise, but when we're left to ourselves, we will, like fruit, become rotten. We can turn bitter. We can, we can grow sour. We actually need to be connected to the source of life to keep growing, to keep developing. And so it's really when we restore our broken relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we're reattached to, to the life that he begins to grow inside of us. He puts his spirit inside of us when we choose to follow Christ and the life of his spirit begins to flow from the inside out. And over time, he begins to grow some amazing fruit in our life. Here's a list of the fruit that he grows inside of us. It's found in Galatians chapter 5. Take a look at what we're calling God's fruit basket. Galatians 5 reads, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul, the author there, he lists out nine of these fruit, nine different fruits. And we're going to look at each of these fruits over time. Last week, John McWhorter, one of our pastors, he described the fruit of love and, and what that looks like. I'd encourage you to check out that message. It was a great message last week to kick things off. Today we're going to turn our attention to the second piece of fruit in the basket. The second fruit on the list is the fruit of joy. Again, it's something that God produces as we attach ourselves to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit moves into our lives and he begins to produce from the inside the fruit of joy. Now, I think this is really appropriately timed because right now, for the most part, 
people that I know, including myself, we're all really, really struggling to peel ourselves back and find an abundance of joy flowing. But we sure want joy right now. You know, we're the only country in the world whose birth certificate actually mentions happiness. Our Declaration of Independence here in the U.S., it gives us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, happiness is is the only one on that list in the Declaration of Independence that has a qualifier attached to it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are given the right to pursue happiness. The implication really is clear that happiness is pretty elusive. It's just not automatic. But we as a country, we are fixated on the pursuit of happiness. In fact, I would say it's our national pursuit. Now, the good news is that happiness is actually also a part of the Christian birth certificate, meaning, uh, you know, when we, when we commit our lives to Christ, the word on the document, though, for the Christian birth certificate is the word joy. It's not happiness, it's the word joy. That's the word, the idea that you get primarily in the Bible. Happiness and joy are both really after the same goal. Uh, it really is that we would have an internal sense of delight. Uh, happiness, you'd describe it that way. Joy, you'd describe an internal sense of delight. But there really is a difference between these words and really these ideas. So happiness, it, it originates really out there. It's, it's from the outside of a person. It's outside of our lives, and it begins to move inside. It is circumstance-driven. So something is going on on the outside, and we experience that, and then it works its way in, and we, we experience happiness. Now, joy originates from inside of a person and, and moves outwards. So that's the big difference. Happiness is something that is circumstance-driven. Joy is, in, it begins on the inside. Now, we cannot, uh, or we can, influence what happens outside of us, but we can't really control the circumstances. If we're dependent on what happens to us, then we, we can't really choose to be happy. We can choose to pursue happiness. That's why it's described as a pursuit. But life needs to cooperate in order for us to be happy. And, and the problem is, <laughs> life is very uncooperative, especially right now. The lack of control, that also affects longevity. Life is not only uncooperative, it, it's also extremely dynamic. It, it just is constantly changing. The circumstances that are needed to make us happy, uh, they sort of come into our lives. They go out of our lives very quickly. And, and we can be happy one moment and then sad the next moment. In February of this year, February 2020, this, you know, as a church, we were having so much fun as a church. We were advancing on multiple fronts. Uh, in fact, a bunch of you... You know, you bought the T-shirt, Advanced 2020, and I've seen a lot of those around town. And, and I mean, we were just enjoying uh, this season of life that we've been in. Uh, in February, many of you in your lives, you were having so much fun just personally, but the circumstances have now changed. And here's the truth. Uh, we were not ultimately created to just live in an environment. There's all this you know, change is going on. We weren't just ultimately created to just be placed in an environment. No, we were created for more than that. We were created to be uh, to be in a relationship or to live in a relationship with our Creator, God. That is, and really, He is the source of joy. Now, Paul, 
the man who God used to write about this list of fruit in Galatians 5, he's the author uh, of several of the New Testament letters. We've studied several of Paul's letters through the years, and uh, he's writing a different letter, the book of Philippians. So he's written a letter to the church, the Christians living in the ancient city of Philippi. And I want to look primarily there this morning. Uh, because one of the themes in this book is joy. And he's written the letter Philippians from prison. And he is on trial awaiting his execution. Not a very happy place. Not a great circumstance to be in. Uh, but I want you to listen to Paul's primary emotion. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 4 in Philippians. It reads, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Somehow, Paul has joy on the inside, even while in prison, not for having committed a crime, but really he's in prison because he was so committed to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ that it threatened the people who were in power. You see, in in the Roman Empire, when this was written, uh, the emperor was seen as God, and so people worshipped the emperor as God, and so worship to any other God was a threat to the emperor and to the empire. And so Paul, uh, he found himself uh, in opposition. And Paul was awaiting his trial and his eventual death. And he's praying for this church in Philippi, uh, northern Greece. And, and, he, and here's what's amazing is he hasn't lost his joy. Why? How, how did he not lose that joy? Well, it's because for Paul, it wasn't circumstance-driven. It was internal. Christ had moved into his heart. The Holy Spirit lived inside of him and was producing something. In fact, the word joy or a form of the root word related to joy is mentioned 16 times in the book of Philippians. This is just one of the themes is joy and rejoicing. Here's another example. He's referencing people in uh, verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. He's referencing some of his enemies. Uh, people who are doing ministry, but with a selfish agenda. And look at what he writes about them. Verse 18, he writes, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul has joy. People that were preaching about Jesus and trying to... Uh, gain something out of it. You know, Paul Paul didn't get sidetracked and lose his joy over that. He he had joy because Christ was being preached. Didn't matter. He just wanted to make sure that people were hearing a true message. Uh, some people were doing it. They were giving the true message, but they were doing it with a motive, with a hidden agenda. Paul said it didn't matter to him. He was rejoicing over the fact that the gospel was going out. Paul had internal joy. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And This reads, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So he's beginning to challenge this group to be joyful. Or I'm sorry, he's beginning to challenge this group to be unified. And he said, as they're unified, he's overjoyed. Make my joy complete. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm already rejoicing, but... I'll have fuller joy as I as you experience unity and as you work together, as you uh, as you uh, 
demonstrate love to one another as you're one in the spirit, as you're committed to the same things. Paul is like, he's saying, my joy is getting fuller and fuller. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. At the thought of his investment in this group of people being wasted, he, he writes this. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As he's watching their faith grow and develop, he's overjoyed and, and he wants them to share in joy as well. Again, the theme of joy is sort of overflowing in his book. Uh, flipping to chapter 3, we read this. Finally, in verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, finally means, hey, let me sum it all up this way. Rejoice in the Lord. This is not circumstantial. This is internal. Rejoice in the fact that you are in the Lord. You are in Christ. He lives in you. So rejoice. Clearly for Paul, the joy is not coming from the outside. And if Paul can be full of joy in this dark, cold, and smelly confines of a Roman prison, it must be possible for us to be joyful in the middle of whatever situation we're facing today, here and now. But the big question is, how do you do that? Well, in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul, he concludes his letter by telling us one way to find the, you know, the kind of joy that only God can generate from the inside of us. Let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and then we'll read up through verse 8. And then we're going to land on verse 8 and just sort of pick apart verse 8. So verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, key verse here. Finally, brothers and sisters, this is verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The key to joy is found by taking a close look at the things that you and I are, are thinking about. What are we dwelling on? What are we pondering? Paul is focusing here, uh, Philippians 4, verse 8. This is a key verse uh, about our thoughts. Behind everything that we feel, everything that we do in life, are thoughts that support it. It's not just one thought per feeling. It's, if I had just one thought, one sad thought a day, then I could replace it with one joyful thought and be joyful maybe for the rest of the day. But the problem is we have more than just one thought per day. In fact, we have thousands of thoughts. Using brain scans, neuroscientists estimate that the average person thinks about 50,000 thoughts per day. Of course, a brain scan can't tell us how many of those 50,000 thoughts are sad, but with that many thoughts going on a day, it would be reasonable to assume that depending on the day, we might have thousands of sad thoughts. And our thoughts have tremendous power. Scientists can now demonstrate that every thought that we have sends electrical and chemical signals throughout our brain ultimately affecting every cell in our body. 
and our thoughts influence our sleep, our pulse, our digestion, and, and many of our bodily functions, our thoughts really do matter. They actually affect everything. Now, long before brain science, God inspired Paul to write these words. Many of us, you know, we might keep a to-do list to focus our efforts on the things that we know we need to get done today. Uh, but this verse, Philippians 4.8, is, you can think of it as God's to-think list. Uh, the purpose of this verse is really to focus our mind on the most important thoughts. Uh, you see, our, our thoughts, like, like I said, our thoughts really matter. One chosen thought has tremendous power. It can actually cascade and cascade into multiple thoughts of that in, in, a, in a similar direction. So if you initiated just five or maybe ten thoughts a day from this list, from Philippians 4.8, this might generate an avalanche of hundreds of or even thousands of good thoughts in your day. So I want to break down very quickly Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So let's take a look. The first type of thought is true thoughts. True thoughts. Knowing the truth about our lives and God, and knowing the truth about the world around us is really, really critical. We rarely stop to think about whether the thoughts coming into our mind are true are true, or, or not true. In fact, we rarely pause long enough to think about what we're thinking about. We don't often pause to, to sort of analyze our thoughts. This means that it's very, very common for us to just think thoughts and feel emotions that aren't really true. The question is not, what do I think or what do I feel is true? But what does God say is true? You know, we find what God says is true in the Bible. This is his revealed truth found in his word. And so I would encourage you, fill your mind with God's truth. That's how you take in and focus on true thoughts. You take in his word. And this is why it's first on the thought list, because it's the most important one. It's the foundational key to joy. If you're if you're you're struggling to find internal joy, um, ask yourself, am I taking in God's truth and how often am I doing that? Because there's all sorts of other truths or all sorts of other thoughts that are flowing into our minds. So one way to combat that is to dwell often on God's true thoughts, his word. Now, the next five uh, on this uh, to think list, the next five thoughts um, sort of build from there. And so let's look at the next one. It's noble thoughts. The word noble actually describes something that is dignified and worthy of respect. Uh, to be, for example, of noble birth means that you're born into a family with a long and a distinguished heritage. Uh, a noble deed is, is it's an act that it, it'll stand the test of time. Whenever we think about people who are noble and whenever we maybe reflect on or read about the stories of people who are noble, what happens is we're drawn towards thinking about how to live a life that endures. I don't know how many times I've watched a movie, and that's been the case, where there's a noble person, and I walk out of there thinking about, man, I want my life to count like that. I want my life to have an enduring quality, one that lasts, one that has significant impact for many, many, many years. Noble thoughts link our mundane lives and our routine days to eternal works that last. And so this is really big picture thinking. This is visionary type thinking, noble thoughts. 
That's the second type. Now, the third type of thoughts on God's to think list is this. It's, it's right thoughts. Philippians 4.8, it mentions that third. Whatever is right. Now, a noble thought, again, is a big picture thought. It's how can my life impact eternity? But uh, thinking about what is right is really that next step, you know, that next step, small picture part of what it takes to build a life that is noble. It's how do you get to the noble life? Well, you, you, you can't just go out today and build a noble life. That, that takes time. But what we can do is we can ask this question. What is the next right thing for me to do? How, how can I take God's truth and use it to guide my very next step? You see, we tend to make consequence-based decisions. Really, we ask the question like, what will happen next if I do that? But what that does is it kills the joy because there's no way to know what will happen next if you do that. So thinking about what is right, it actually anchors your joy in the doable simplicity of doing the next right thing. You know, man, that was right by God. And so have and focus your mind on right thoughts. What is the next right thing to do? Fourth on God's to think list is pure thoughts. Now, with 50,000 thoughts going through our mind every day, it's important to keep the joy conduit from God as clean as possible. There's a link. And so we tend to not even think about the thoughts that we're exposed to. We listen to whatever happens to be on the car stereo. We read whatever pops into our news feed or is vying for our attention in the ads as we scroll on our phones. And as we all know, they're not always helpful to us. Uh, We engage in whatever gossip is floating around the groups that we're a part of. Over time, our minds get full with all kinds of junk. And the joy from God stops because we're not having pure thoughts. The issue here isn't just simply about you know what you allow in, uh, but really asking the question, how will, how will all of these thoughts affect my mind? What is the effect? of the unclean that is that is finding its, its way into my mind. Now, do you want joy? I know I do. Then what I need to do constantly is I need to constantly clean up my thoughts. The way we can do this is to have open and honest conversations with friends and just evaluate the effect of the thoughts uh, that we're dwelling on. That's a great place to start. Also, just confessing confessing thoughts that you've dwelled on that were impure, just confessing that to God. Eventually, as we do that, we just start aiming to intentionally take in more of what is clean and what is pure because that really affects our joy. Now, here's the fifth. The fifth on God's to think list is lovely thoughts. Uh, lovely is is a word in the, it doesn't show up much in the Bible. In fact, the Greek word that translates lovely shows up only this one time in the New Testament. It can mean pleasing. It can mean beautiful. It, when something is lovely, it's, it's agreeable. What I mean is it just fits. You can stand, you can stare at something that is lovely and take it in and it's, it's really satisfying. Like for example, go look at something of beauty and just allow your mind to take it all in. Go spend an afternoon at the beach and take it in. Watch the sunset. Just take that in. Uh, spend a day or a week in the mountains. Listen to a beautiful piece of music 
and you just you take it in and you think, wow, that really just fits. It all agrees. It's it just works. You see, this is important because people can't shake true beauty. People can turn away from God by ignoring him, by defying him, maybe inventing inventing lies about God, but no one can turn away from his beauty. It's irresistible. It can melt the hardest of our hearts. It can lift our thoughts when our thoughts are going when our thoughts are going south and when our thoughts are turning dark. Just slowing down to take in God's beautiful creation, it's just it's another place where joy can where joy can flow into our lives, where joy can originate. Now, the opposite of this idea of what is lovely is ugly. It's hideous. That's the that's the antonym here is things that are ugly, things that are hideous, things that don't fit. Like sometimes I've seen an outfit and I just think, oh, it just doesn't, that doesn't fit. Or, or maybe I, 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 I'm driving down a neighborhood and I'm on a block and there's a, there's a house that it just, it was painted a really random color and it just doesn't fit. And you're thinking, you know, this, this person wanted to make a statement, but their house doesn't match the surroundings and you just sort of go, uh, yuck. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe you hear some, someone trying to learn music and they haven't quite perfected it yet. It's not, it's not yet coming together and you try to be encouraging, but on the inside you're thinking, uh, ouch. Uh, and it's just, it's not yet agreeable. So back to lovely. Things that are lovely, you don't want to leave. You take them, you take it all in. It's even captivating. And here's the challenge right now. There's a lot of art, there's a lot of music, there's a lot of media, there's a lot of movies, there's a lot of scenery. That's hideous. But it just captures our attention and it sort of takes hold of our thoughts and it begins to impact our inner joy. Why not just choose to take in more of what is lovely? Why not intentionally take in more things that are, are, are beautiful? That you could say, wow, God did that. He put that together. It speaks of, of his power, of his might, of his glory. As you do that, that will lead to more joy. And so I hope that, I hope that sort of prompts you to maybe, again, get out in nature. Just enjoy what he has made. Enjoy things that you'd say, wow, God did that. That's really satisfying to, uh, to experience and to, to take that in. Now, last on the list here is admirable thoughts. Uh, the Greek word here, it actually means good report. The idea is that if you're going to write up a good report on this day, what, what would you include? Uh, now, we're all pretty familiar with bad reports. Uh, the vast majority of our thoughts about ourselves and people and the world around us are pretty negative right now. And so we're sort of used to nursing a grudge and complaining maybe to our friends or sulking in response to the disappointments we're all experiencing right now. And this negative approach to life, this bad report on life, is, is sort of a joy killer for you and probably a lot of the people around you. And so God says, think about what is admirable. Give a good report. We can compile bad reports in our sleep. It's easy. I mean, it takes very little effort to come up with a bad report, but it takes a concerted effort, a focused thought life, and a lot of practice to learn how to compile a good report. And in time, we can learn to do, to do that, you know, in just about any circumstance. Now, a great place to start is to make a gratitude list. It's, it's easy to sort of list out 
the complaints you have about someone, but what if you wrote down five ways that they've been a blessing to you? Think of a person. Write down five ways that they have blessed your life. What that will likely do is it might shift your thoughts. And then what if you told them about those five things? That might just shift your relationship. There's a quick test to use on, on what you're thinking. It's, it's at the end of that uh, statement there about whatever is admirable. It says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. This is, if you're struggling to understand how to highlight what's admirable, you look for things that are excellent or praiseworthy. Uh, the, this focus shifts from our private thoughts to how you know our thoughts would come out if we said them in public. In public, we all choose words that are excellent or words that are praiseworthy. So if there was a speaker attached to your brain and, and everything you were thinking was broadcast to others, would you cringe at what people heard? Those are the thoughts that need to be replaced and really not repeated. <laughs> uh, now here's some practical ways to sort of land the plane and take some next steps away from this morning. First next step is make a gratitude list. I mentioned that. Maybe make a gratitude list about your life right now or maybe about the people in your life right now, uh, but focus on that. Second, begin by starting to think about what you're thinking about. Again, we don't often stop and reflect. And so maybe memorize Philippians 4, 8 and memorize those key phrases, these six different types of thoughts on God's to think list. And just start thinking about, where is my mind going? What, are, what am I dwelling on? And then third, uh, then just pick maybe one of the six thoughts on the list and just start practicing that area. Don't try to tackle it all at once. But I'd encourage you, maybe put this thing up somewhere. Put it, write it down, uh, you know, make a poster, put it somewhere so you can, again, maybe go back through this message and jot down some notes and, and define what these things look like. Uh, those who have experienced joy. They don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. They're, they 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 control thoughts. They lead their mind. They have a link between them and the joy of heaven. They learn to think often about, and again, let's look at the verse, about whatever is true and whatever is noble and whatever is right and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable. They think about those types of things. Over time, as we do that, what happens is our joy grows more and more. That fruit of joy comes through God's work in us, in the Holy Spirit working inside of us. But the fruit grows more and more as we think about the right things. So uh, I want to encourage us all in this area. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the work you're doing in our lives, in inside God, there's so much going on outside that we know is out of our control. But Father, I pray that you would lead us to be people who think differently. And that we would experience, as a result of that, the fruit of joy more and more. Uh, we need your help in this area. We need your power uh, to, uh, to change as you show us things you want us to replace in our thought life. Lord, uh, we need your, your help and your power and your strength to do all these things and so we thank you, God, for the wisdom of your word and how you speak uh, to the issues of real life. We thank you. In the, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. 
join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.